This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains, and globalization, and the effects these have had on our life, our work, and our travel over recent years. Today on the show, we'll be talking to Lisa Anderson and Diane Garcia of LMA Consulting Group in Los Angeles, California. Uh, Lisa and Diane are co-authors of a new book uh, titled SIOP, SIOP, Creating Predictable Revenue and EBITDA Growth. So SIOP, or SIOP, Sales, Inventory and Operations Planning, is a management approach in which Lisa and Diane are expert, and I look forward to finding out from them what it is, how it works, what its benefits are, and what the pitfalls are to avoid in its implementation. So between them, Lisa and Diane have many years' experience helping their clients to develop, set up, and implement SIOP across multiple sectors. So welcome, Lisa. Welcome, Diane. And thank you both very much for being here with us today. Glad to be here. So uh, we're going to talk to you guys about PSYOP over two episodes, actually. So today, what we'll do is explore what PSYOP is, what the business benefits are, what it takes to start the journey along uh, the PSYOP road, so to speak. And then in the next episode, we'll explore maybe more depth, the implementation highlight some of the pitfalls to avoid and see what the stages are, the timeframes um, that are involved in actually getting this thing set up, bedded into a, to a steady state. So question number one, then, let's see. So SIOP or S-I-O-P, Sales, Inventory and Operations Planning, what is it? And what's its relationship to two other approaches that that, that we hear about, which are S and O-P, sales and operations planning and IBP, integrated business planning. Are these different names for the same thing or are there distinctions between them? Lisa. All right. Well, so uh, really they're in essence the same thing. Uh, we ask clients uh, when we go in, uh, you know, what would you like us to call it? Um, and really every client so far um, after many, many years has, has selected sales inventory operations planning because they want to include the I for inventory, whereas sales and operations planning is really the same thing, but it's just they want to highlight the fact that inventory is important as well. So that's why SIOP is um, an improvement over SNOP. Okay. With that said, go, go, ahead. Go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say then the Obviously, IBP is a whole different set of words here. That's integrated business planning. Uh, that is supposed to imply that um, that SIOP, you know, expands uh, beyond the um, operations cycle and moves to finance. It is really business planning. However, that is what SIOP is. Uh, so it's really the same thing. It's just. Um, the reason that some folks call it IBP, which is more prevalent in, in um, Europe, but uh, the reason they call it IBP is because is they're trying to um, highlight the distinction that it's a business planning process, um, but it's really the same thing. Mm. And why is uh, inventory so important and why are people wanting to stress that so much? Do you want to answer that one, Diane? Or? Just say it's a part of the entire uh, equation here. So we have uh, each of the letters and inventory needs to be accounted for. It needs to be planned for. It needs to be aligned to the sales plan and, and the operational plans. So it's a very big component of this process. 
Okay. And uh, so I think it sounds to me like a, a process that is quite holistic or or systemic in the sense that, you know, for, for tackling the, the challenges that businesses face, because it involves, it seems to involve multiple stakeholders. And these stakeholders maybe sometimes have conflicting interests. I, I also picked up from your book that it's a, it's a proactive approach um, to, to, to planning. It's predictive, so it's looking at what's going to happen. So I'm guessing that because of all that, this ain't easy to do, right? Uh, <laughs> so, so when firms, so when firms are successful in pull in pulling this off, what kind of business benefits do they typically achieve? Well, we find that it's really the uh, it's the best of uh, all worlds, if you will, because you're it supports sales growth um, with high service levels, short lead times. Uh, you know, it, it just really helps from the from the customer point of view but simultaneously it also helps improve profitability and margins and then last but not least is what Diane was talking about and that is the cash flow inventory levels uh, so it's it's how do you how do you achieve all three of those uh, objectives at the same time okay and, and typically clients are looking for predictability scalability and reliability in their business, so it it does uh, support all of those initiatives. Mm-hmm. And how how does it do that? What's actually happening in in order for that to be the outcome? So how does it actually do that? Well, it's um, I mean, of course, each SIA process has to be um, implemented for what makes sense for the company. But you know, you, it starts with a getting a view of your sales forecast or your demand plan, understanding what's going to happen uh, down the line. And then that way you can set set it up so that it best aligns with, um, you can fulfill that demand basically in the smartest way possible. So that means you can um, look at, you know, where should we be producing uh, this demand? How should we allocate capacity? Should we make it or buy it? Um, you know, what, you know, should we, do we need to prioritize because we just can't, um, uh, you know, haven't, we don't have enough at the moment to fulfill. So we have to prioritize customers. So it basically figures out the best way uh, to fulfill the demand that you have predicted. um, And then doing so, of course, and with the least amount of inventory, uh, tying up cash unnecessarily as well. So it eventually becomes it's, this is not a one-off thing. This eventually becomes a practice. Is that correct? Yeah, it should be embedded. I mean, it takes some time to, like Lisa said, figure out what makes sense and what are the key uh, questions to face. But it it evolves and it it changes, but it really needs to be embedded into the culture so that it is seen and, and appreciated through the entire organization. And what kinds of businesses can benefit from the successful PSYOP implementation? Is it principally for manufacturing businesses or would distributors and retailers and maybe even logistic service providers, could they benefit also? Yeah, really, it it's, doesn't matter the type of business. If you have, if you have a sales <laughs> and you have operational activities and um, and you want to make sure that finance is uh, aligned as well, 
Uh, it really doesn't matter the type of business. Uh, we've implemented PSYOP from aerospace and defense companies to um, healthcare, uh, life sciences to, uh, you know, distributors that um, service uh, a wide variety of industries. Yeah, we're, we've also helped consumer products so that it relates to the retail end of things that you mentioned. So, yeah, it could really be across industries, across all types of businesses. Okay. And um, how does it relate to ERP and MRP? Is, is ERP a tool that can be leveraged in, in PSYOP? Do ERP systems have functionality within them to facil- facilitate implementation of PSYOP uh, as they do MRP? Um either as a standard or a configurable functionality. How does all of that world fit together or does it? <laughs> well, no, it definitely does. Uh, we we find that it depends on the size company, but for most, for most companies, uh, you don't need a PSYOP system, if you will, or an SNOP system. Um, there is... There, there are such a thing uh, as an SNOP system. However, it's... It really is the demand and the supply planning processes. Um, it's not really, I mean, they may call it an SNOP system, but it's not really an SNOP system. So if you're a really large company and you want to take things to the next level, you have, um, and you want to do some additional analysis, then perhaps you're going to use a um, um, a separate system. But, for, you know, actually 99% of the time, maybe you know, at least over 90% of the time, you can make so much progress um, by just implementing the process. Now, with that said, you always have to use the data um, and you're, you are performing demand planning processes and supply planning processes as, uh, to back it up uh, to, you know, from an execution standpoint. So you'll, you'll utilize an ERP system to carry out some of the functions, but for the most part, it's, it's getting the right data together and it's getting the right people together and the process. Hmm. But Diane, you know, you can or go ahead, uh, Patrick. If you, uh, if you didn't have an ERP system, it would be difficult to go down this road. Is that right? Well, that's what I was actually going to say is we've worked with all, all types of uh, data and, you know, sometimes an ERP system may not um, be in place and we've, we've, continue to make progress as to Lisa's point. You no matter what, you can you can make decisions and bring the team together and and define the process and the data will come along. And and maybe that's one of your focuses in that particular client is to build the data and the data integrity. Okay. And what what kind of data are are we talking about? And and where do you get those data? Um and then what kind of so let's say you you got the data then you tell me about what data and where you get it. And then what kind of tools you need to process and analyze that data so you can make some sense of it, about what's going on, generate some insights and take some decisions? Well, I can start at the high level and then Diane can um, take it from there. Uh, but you uh, you want to be able to first of all, figure out what your demand plan is going to be because that's where it all starts is what are you gonna, what are your customers going to need um, and what are the changing conditions of your customers? So, from that point of view, historical sales can be handy. Does not ne- it's not necessary in every you know in depends on the client and what's going on, but historical sales can definitely be valuable. But by no means is that um, going to cut it. 
you know, it's really about talking with salespeople. It's talking, it could be talking with the customers. Uh, you could have a CRM system, customer relationship management system to get information from there. So like about potential quotes or um, potential, you know, what's happening with the customers and where they could be going. So you really have the uh, quite a few inputs going in. And I'm sure Diana can tell us about more on the demand side. And then the supply side is really much more about capacity, generally speaking. So machine machinery and equipment capacity could be warehouse capacity, um, you know, all sorts of, you know, uh, it could be a building capacity. So there's, it's, it's all about capacity and uh, figuring out how you can fulfill that um, uh, demand and, um, you know, how successful you'll be. There also is really, though, the profitability side and cash flow side. So you may end up looking at customer product profitability as well. So there's quite a bit of data that you might be looking at here. Mm-hmm. And Diane, um, yeah, she, probably... she outlined a, a lot of the, the biggies. I mean, it's really under, like she said, understanding your demand plan. So what are your key customers? Are you, you know, looking at bringing on new customers? Are you, uh, you know, really understanding uh, the changes and the trends well, within your customers and products. Um, the other piece, I think uh, that Lisa, you know, she mentioned the operational side and then of course inventory. So what are your turns, trends? What are your, you know, what are the key things that would make a difference in your conversation? So it's it's really like she mentioned, historical sales and key customers and um, on the operational side, what are your capacities? Sometimes we may have to look at freight as an mm-hmm. as a as a data point, it just really depends on the type of business. Uh, for engineering uh, to order, configure to order businesses, the quoting side and understanding like your probabilities of quotes to come to fruition is is key to the sales plan. So it's it's really everything in between uh, your your starting and your shipping point. Ninety three point nine, Dublin South FM. So I was thinking of that your last point there. So you know if you're churning out bottles of pop. And, you know, you have a relatively predictable monthly cycle and you sell more pop in the summertime than you do in the wintertime. That's one thing. But if you're making, say, some kind of uh, expensive equipment and it's made to order, that's quite a different proposition, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, there is. But the nice thing is Cyber will work with both scenarios. We actually have had worked with clients in both of those uh, industries. Uh, they're very different um, and you just have to utilize the tools a bit differently, but um, uh, you'd be surprised actually how um, something as what seems as repetitive as, um, you know, pop as you call it, um, can be, uh, you know, there, there can be still be, of course, peaks and valleys and maintenance and other things that come up, but basically it's, um, it's, it's just a different uh, cycle. Whereas an engineer to order type business, uh, many of our clients say, oh, I don't think that this could, you know, we can't predict this at all. There's no way. Um, everything we make is different. But um, thus far, every one of those clients, we've been able to make it more predictable um, with a demand plan. Because it's really more about uh, looking at the, the demand plan in terms of like maybe the model or um, a group of equipment. Um, I don't know, Diane, if you have uh, you know other names for that, but basically the uh, at at the sub component kind of level. 
I am um, listening to you talking about the different types of data and information. And I know because of using data in, in my own work, particularly transactional data or master data that you get from ERP systems that we would be using to analyze, say, throughputs in warehouses and distribution centers and, and so on. Uh, but you've spoken there about that type of data and lots of other types of data and information, maybe not as structured. And you're bringing that all together. How do you how do you deal with that? How do you process it then? How do you attack it, that data? Well, so that's a, that's a, that is always a tricky question. It depends, of course. Uh, it depends on their systems and their capabilities. Do they have a business, uh, like a BI or business intelligence system, data warehouse? You know, so like there, there's a lot of questions that we'd have to ask. But no matter the client, we basically we help them put together at least some sort of a pseudo data warehouse and and figure out the right data to get. I mean, it doesn't have to be terribly complicated. The truth of the matter is. Um, you can, the, the key is which, what, you know, which of all of this data is most important and what's going to drive the right type of change. So we can start with something that is just critical to their business or important, and we'll just focus in there and build it over time. So it's, you know, we think about it as being directionally correct, oh, but Diane, you may have have something to add there. That might be a BI tool that helps process it. Sometimes the ERP system can support in cases of capacity. You know, we've used ERP systems that will have capacity planning modules that will support, you know, the processing of it. And then we really just download reports to you know, make these insights uh, visual for the, the group. Um, so sometimes ERP supports, and then sometimes it's just pulling together a lot of Excel inputs that perhaps the team has developed over time, and they just need support to pull all that together and make sense of it, and then turn it into something that is visual and easy to understand. So I, I imagine then that the, the reality of it is that these solutions um, are somewhere on a spectrum between analytical and empirical, and then over time, Maybe they're refined and the, the analytical part becomes stronger as people learn and as they pay more attention to data quality and so on. Is that is that what happens? Is that what the way it pans out? Yeah, I would definitely say so. Like many of our clients have data integrity issues, to be sure. <laughs> I mean, some of them are, are real, real whoppers in terms of their data integrity problems. Um, but no matter the situation, there's always a way to improve upon it and to get the key is, can we get something out of all of it that is meaningful enough to make a decision? And so far we've always been able to do that. So it's just, it's, that's where it's more, I don't know if it's um, more art than science or what the right way to say it is, but it's not really, it's really just not about just getting the data out and then, you know, dealing with the data. It's really trying to understand the data so that you can, Figure out what's meaningful, and then um, how do you how do you best use this to make um, change with the client? That's that's really the key. It definitely. And I, and I think and I think that the SIAP process itself it ranges from that strategic to that tactical view, and so a part of you know sometimes making progress is focusing on those tactic tactical items to say okay in the next month 
two months, three months, can we clean up, you know, this percentage of customer issues or data issues, whatever it may be along the, the data. And then we can see some progress on the strategic side that will drive that change. So it's really, it, it ranges from, you know, that top, top down, bottom up view. I imagine as companies are working through this process, um, that kind of, um, th that that learning, that awakening and those insights that arise and those strategic initiatives that are sparked off, I guess, are part of the, maybe even unforeseen benefits. So I guess when they start out, they have some mm -hmm. benefit in mind, whether it's, you know, better inventory control or whatever. But I imagine the whole learning process is hugely beneficial for them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We've, we actually have quite a few clients that say that simply aligning the people <laughs> is actually much more important than any of this stuff about the data. Although, I mean, obviously, you kind of have to have all of it, right? You need the people, the process, and certainly the data. But many, many clients really say that it's really much more about getting getting the people to understand and be on the same page. Mm. I kind of alluded to that at the beginning because I kind of detected the way you were explaining it, that it requires the input of um, different stakeholders. And those stakeholders, in my experience in business, they often have conflicting interests you know i guess the, the typical one would be say sales and and operations right um so what, what what kind of typical issues come up and and how do they get resolved does this kind of because it's fact and database or information based it gives people a, a forum to come to some sort of consensus about what's really going on in a business is that is that what happens uh, absolutely. It's actually what, exactly what happens is instead of something being contentious, it, it comes up through the process and then it's more of a process decision, not a he said, she said, or whatever. Everyone's complaining about somebody else. It's much more about part of the process. But Diane, you want to provide like maybe an example? I'm thinking, I mean, just like you mentioned, Patrick, the basics of our sales forecast is, is X and operations maybe perhaps doesn't even see it or isn't aware of, of how, you know, much of an increase it may be or or perhaps an increase, but in a way that is impactful to the operational side. So needing additional machinery or additional, uh, you know, skill sets that weren't required in the past. So it's it's bringing all of that and making it visible and it may not be solved in an immediate form, but it is definitely because it's a repetitive process. It's, it's discussed over time and then things begin to, uh, you know, balance out or straighten out. Yeah. It sounds like a kind of a silo busting approach. Yes. Um, <laughs> I don't know how many times I've been, you know, with warehouse managers and they're going, Listen, I have to deal with this load that's just arrived. And these are new products. And the first I knew about them was when they turned up on my dock. So that's, <laughs> you know, that's kind of an extreme case of uh, silo type thinking. So what, what, what's your own um, take on why are businesses so silo oriented in the first place? Why are we like this? Well, I'm... <laughs> yeah, good question. But I, I think what I would say is, is that, it, you know, it's actually a lot of hard work to get everybody on the same page and aligned. So uh, it's not that folks don't want to do the hard work, but I don't even know that everyone really understands what you would need to do to get people to see the whole equation. You know, people just tend to say, okay, I'm in 
I'm in finance. I'm thinking about inventory levels and, um, you know, like every question I ask relates to that. And, and, you know, I'm just thinking about people giving me inputs and giving them outputs and they're not, they're not thinking about it from yeah. someone yeah. else's point of view. And I, they I don't guess have the, that experience. Yeah. And I guess the bigger the business is, the more you're contained within that, that echo chamber of your own department, right? Um, I, I, I notice a lot uh, because I deal a lot in, in operations and particularly the, the physicality of moving and storing inventory. And you have people, say, who are planners or they're in supply chain, but they're in supply chain in an office and they have no actual concept of physicality, of space, of time, of stuff. Uh, yet they're taking decisions about these things, and th- and this is where you get a. I find you get a lot of um, conflict and contention and um, um, mix-ups and and so on. Would that would that be your experience as well? well I think that definitely happens. Go ahead, Diane. It happens. I, the only thing I was thinking about while you were talking, Patrick, is that it's sometimes just out of. I don't know if necessity is the way to put it, but growth occurs at such a rapid pace that, you know, everybody's just head down trying to make the shipment plan or, you know, support, you know, these uh, offloading or outsourcing decisions. And so sometimes you're just trying to, you know, make it through the the day to day. And and so you're not looking far enough out and PSYOP allows that to happen. So you see the, you know, see the visibility and the, and the direction, you know, months ahead. Yeah. Not week to week. Yeah, I think as we as we said earlier, or at least I said, you know, the, l- looking in at this, it sounds like it ain't easy to do. So, how do you how do you assess a prospective client's company for for this journey? Do you have a criteria? Do some people you say, listen, maybe this isn't for you, or or how do you <laughs> how do you deal with that? <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing is, is that um, we've worked with really, I, you know, really small clients. One that actually didn't even have they were high growth but they didn't have uh, an ERP system yet they're using QuickBooks and so we were able to make that um, work because we focused in on the sales side and then we've worked with companies that are multi-billion dollars um, with different divisions and they have different issues you'd be surprised sometimes like the sometimes you think the opposite of what you'll find in a small company or a big company but what I do find is is that um, Either way, it's just tailoring the process to some sort of a meaningful result that you want to get out of it. Even if it's a really small, like you start with a small window, you find something that's going to make a difference to either their growth plan or, like you said, whatever their objectives are. I mean, most clients are trying to grow, of course, but they may have other options too. Like we worked with a client that was trying to improve their profitability. And so then more focus went to the customer product profitability side of the equation. So it just depends. You find a meaningful spot um, and pursue it. What do you think, Diane? Is it? We're always getting a lot of questions about who who are who's involved in in what aspect of the supply chain in the process, just to get a feel for, you know, who would be the key psyop uh, or the core team versus you know those who could be potentially be like a psyop leader who would then take it forward. So you're kind of assessing, you know, what what is it that's in place today, what systems and tools are in place today. So it's it's a, a lot of questions to determine what the environment looks like. 
Excellent. So um, in the in the, in the next episode, we'll, we'll dig a bit deeper into this. So uh, I'll just say thank you to both of you for for today, Lisa and Diane, for being here with us. And congratulations, of course, on the, the publication of the of the book. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to chat to you and uh, look forward to extending this chat on PSYOP in the next episode of, of Interlinks. So thanks also to our listeners for tuning in again today. And be aware that if you enjoy this episode, you can find a full series of well over 100 episodes, probably closer to 120 at this stage of interlinks on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast and other major podcast platforms. So until next time, keep well and stay safe.